Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to In For Lift, the podcast. This is episode 147 called Aaron and MJ. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code Allie15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Allie15, A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Oh my gosh, you guys, I love this couple that I'm talking to today. So today's guests are Aaron and MJ. They are the co-authors of Men in Miscarriage, A Dad's Guide to Grief, Relationships, and Healing After Loss, which is a book that came out earlier in 2021, like the summer. God, I wish this book were out while I was going through it. In the book, they're a married couple and they talk about not only their experiences going through infertility and family building and loss, but they also interview a bunch of other couples as well. So it's a great book. Definitely check it out. And we're going to hear more about their story today. So I want to thank them for being a part of this. Thank you guys as always for listening. And without further ado, this is Aaron and MJ's infertility story. So Aaron and MJ, hi guys. How are you? Great. Great. Thank you so much for doing this. I love talking to couples. I haven't done a ton of couple interviews, but I think it's really interesting just to get kind of the two different perspectives. Cause even though, you know, as a partnership, you're going through the same experience, it is very different. I found for, you know, the two different people. So I'd love to just start with how you guys met. How did you get together? Mm. Oh boy. That's a funny story. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Tell me. Um, well, technically, you know, we met in the sixth grade. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we both went to Norton middle school and our families kind of knew each other in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said we, we never, uh, dated, uh, we didn't even really like each other. Honestly, she, she ran with a rougher crowd than oh, stop it. <laughs> You're from the wrong side of the tracks, MJ. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> oh my god, what did what did a rough crowd look like in sixth grade? Well, I was I was kind of the uh, you know this this was a, a more years ago than I care to admit. So I was the uh, preppy sports kid in the silk shirts and you know the Z Cavaricis. Thinking, oh I was- my god, yes, I feel like we're probably around the same age. My my <laughs> husband used to wear Z Cavaricis too. And I was from like the divorced family, living in two different towns, kind of scenario. Okay broken home and all that. Yeah. That was also my reality. (laughs) I was a child of divorced parents as well. (laughs) (laughs) I joke with her, but we just, you know, we just didn't have the same friends. We didn't run the same social circles or anything. And then, um, I think what first year of high school, you, you left for MJ left for, um, Philadelphia or just outside of Philadelphia in Norristown. And honestly, um, you know, I don't think either of us ever thought we'd see the other one again. We certainly didn't talk or write or anything. And randomly after uh, high school, we both ended up at the same very tiny college up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts called wow. Mass College of Liberal Arts. Okay. And um, we, you know, we still actually never dated no. <laughs> or, or anything. I was going through kind of a wild phase. So uh, MJ did not... Uh, I tried. I tried to date MJ. She was, she was not having it. At the she time. wasn't having it. What, all right. Tell me no, about your wild phase. What did that look like? Oh, uh, you know, oh. I just, I was a sheltered, I was a sheltered <laughs> suburban kid. And then I got to college, which was still sheltered and suburban, but I had freedom. And yeah, uh, I just kind of, you know, I never drank in high school. I never did anything. I was um, kind of, you know, preppy honor student, goody two shoes. And then okay got to college and I was one of those kids who had never gone crazy. And so I went crazy and just kind of overdosed on freedom and gotcha. um, found beer and life was never yep. the same. Yeah. Okay. So when did you, when did it come together? MJ, were you, did you guys remember each other and like you were, <laughs> how did it shake I out? Rem- 
I remembered Aaron. We were in the same class together and I confronted him after a class one day and said, I know you. And he claims that this story isn't true, but I said, I know you. And he's like, who the fuck are you? I did. I don't think I said that. <laughs> but he was, I, I was, he was drunk. He doesn't remember. Yeah, <laughs> right. I was trying to put some distance between uh, high school and college. So I was not thrilled to see someone from who knew me from high school uh, there. But we we became friends and then we stayed friends even after college. And then I think it was three years after college in 2004, we both ended up at the same um, house party and I was truthfully there for someone else, but yeah, that, well, you were, <laughs> you were there. That didn't work out. And then uh, we were both, MJ and I were both kind of tipsy in the kitchen and she said, you know, I've, I've always liked you. And I said, no, you haven't. I said, I've tried to hit on you repeatedly for years. And um, you know, one, you know, one thing led to another and one drunken kiss outside the, in the backyard behind the woodshed. And here mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> I can totally picture it. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's how a lot of good relationships begin. Right. Okay. So fast forwarding to when you guys were, you know, in a more serious relationship, did you guys talk about family and having kids? Oh yeah. yeah. I think Aaron was the first person to bring it up (laughs) that he wanted kids and he wanted them immediately, like have a honeymoon baby. And (laughs) I was a little bit more hesitant about that idea. Okay. I had, um, you know, like I said, I had kind of gone crazy in college. And then when I found out MJ actually liked me and I really had always liked her. So I kind of embedded myself in her life like a tick. And <laughs> uh, I was not letting her get away because I, I I knew that I could spend my life with her. I think I I think I told her that we were going to get married on our second date, which was I took her to a wedding. <laughs> so, OK. Definitely. I was definitely all in and I could, I could see everything with her. So I was, I was definitely pushing that more than she was. Were you like, go catch that bouquet? (laughs) (laughs) We're next. What were the conversations like, like after you guys did get married and when did you start to try to have babies? Well, we, I got, after a long conversation with Aaron and going back and forth, we had agreed that we were going to try, start trying earlier. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you sick. try for the honeymoon baby? Uh, no, we practiced, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MJ, yeah, MJ got really sick. Um, just a couple of weeks after we got married. So like our first Valentine's day was spent with MJ in the hospital for four or five days. And Whoa. what happened? Kind of put- uh, Crohn's disease. Okay. Yeah, it was undiagnosed for a long time. And then finally they they came out with Crohn's. And so we had to get that all straightened out before we could really start trying. And then I think we we started trying in earnest um 2000, late 2006. Uh-huh. Did the that does was, the Crohn's have anything to do with fertility, MJ? Did they say anything about that? No, you just the medicine that I was on, I you just can't conceive on it because it's mm. not healthy for a pregnancy. So mm-hmm. we have to wait until I was more stable with the Crohn's before we tried. Okay. So we got married in 06. So we started trying in 07, January of 07. Yeah, a little earlier is the end of 06. Cause the first time, the first time MJ got pregnant, um, I'm sorry. I, I'm a fanatic Boston sports fan. And so I date everything with, um, sporting events. And so <laughs> I love it. I remember the, the, the first time, um, that you were pregnant. We were going to, I was going to the AFC championship game in January of 2007 in Indianapolis. So that was, that was the first time. And that was our, also our first loss. Um, I think that was six weeks at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. Did you, when you found out you were pregnant, obviously you guys, I'm sure were thrilled. Was it, did it seemingly go okay for the first couple of weeks? Um, I actually didn't know I was pregnant. Um, ah. uh, yeah. So, and then, uh, one of my best friends had said, you know, you probably should take a test if you haven't had your period, it's probably a good idea. So I took a test and it came up positive, but I wasn't, I still wasn't feeling quote unquote pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, those symptoms that you have. So that was kind of a telltale sign that something was amiss, um, uh, the first time around for me at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. And of so- course, of course, you know, we, 
I think I think at the time, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were like, oh, maybe we should wait to tell people. And I was like, hell no. I was a journalist. Like, I'm used to breaking news. So right. I was all gung-ho at the time. And so we did. We told we told um, everybody. We told our parents. We told everybody. And then right before I left for that trip, uh, MJ miscarried for the first time. And that was that was just devastating. Oh, I'm so sorry. So if you don't mind, can you tell me about that? Like, did you, was it something that happened at home? Like you start bleeding or did you go to the doctor and there wasn't a heartbeat or like, what was, what did that look like for you? I was at work and Mm -hmm. started bleeding and I just came out of the bathroom hysterically crying. And at that time I had a really tight knit staff. And one of my colleagues that I worked with said, are you okay? And I was like, I'm miscarrying. I can't believe this. I'm bleeding everywhere. And they, all they did was just hug me, you know, a huge support system there. And, but the problem was, is I worked an hour away from Aaron and I did make that drive by myself in the car, knowing full well that I was miscarrying. Oh, that must've been torture. And then the next day I went to the doctor and they actually told me that I was never pregnant, Hmm. which I thought was weird that I had a positive pregnancy test and that the blood test said that it was negative. So I'm Mm -hmm. not sure why that happened. Yeah. I feel like was that, did they say it was like a missed miscarriage or like a chemical pregnancy or something like. I was so excited that even if they had told me, I probably wouldn't have remembered. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I always say that I feel like, fuck that. Like the, like, it doesn't matter how far along you are. And I feel like that to dis not that your doctors were doing this, but if anybody, you know, discredits like, oh, it was early, it's not as hard. Like, I feel like I always say a loss is a loss. So I'm sorry for your loss. And it doesn't matter if it was early or further along, you know? Yep, exactly. And, you know, MJ was just kind of, she was just really out of it and devastated. And, you know, like I said, I was a reporter at the time. So I kind of, my defense mechanism is flipping my switch and going into like research and reporter mode. So I did the worst thing you can do, which is hit the internet and look for, you know, all like, why did this happen? What causes miscarriage? And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shitty information out there. I, and I was, I wasn't helping because I'm asking her questions. Like, did you lift anything heavy? Like, did you go for a run? And all these things are stupid because that doesn't really cause miscarriage as I know now, but I didn't know then as a 20 something mm-hmm. or on. And it was also tough for me because I had, I had never even considered the possibility of a miscarriage or a loss. Like it just didn't, it wasn't anything that I ever thought about. It never mm-hmm. had. And so when it happened, it was just like, what is this thing? Like this can, this can happen. And, and first of all, like, you know, am I, am, am, is it happening to me? <laughs> am, yeah. am, I, am I a part of this or not? And that it sounds silly, but you know, as, as a man, you don't, you don't really know the answer to that. At least I didn't know the answer to that because this is something that's, that's happening to her and it's happening to her body. And so I thought, yeah, you know, all my, all my attention should be on her. I need to make sure she's okay. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but also I did not give myself permission to feel anything. I, I beat myself up for feeling sad. I'm like, oh God, I'm thinking to myself, you selfish jerk. Like what is the problem right now? She's hurting and you're worried about how you feel because I had in my head, I had named this kid. I had thought out a future for this kid. I, mm-hmm. I had envisioned everything that happened, which yeah, it might be silly if at six or seven weeks, but I still did it as I'm sure a lot of people do. Absolutely. It was just gone. You know, the, the rug is pulled out from under you, but as a man in in this society, you don't, you don't have the, you know, emotional bandwidth. You don't have the luxury to feel that, you know, you're supposed to be a rock and a protector and, you know, suck it up and rub some dirt on it. And so that's, that's what I defaulted to. And I just, I buried all those feelings deep down and focused on MJ and, Mm -hmm. you know, made stupid jokes like, Oh, at least we get to try again, which is right. Exactly. It's just what a woman wants to hear. Right. Well, I think I'm so glad that you said that, Aaron. And, you know, I know you guys co-authored this amazing book called Men in Miscarriage, A Dad's Guide to Grief, Relationships and Healing After Loss, which I do want to delve into. I'm not sure at what point in your journey you wrote that book. But before you answer that, you know, I think it's really interesting that you do talk about 
men not knowing how to feel or how to express their feelings and how, like you said, it's confusing because it's happening to their partner, but it is also happening to you as, as the man, as the husband, as the partner. So I think it's, it's great that you're opening up that conversation and that with the book, you're allowing guys to grieve as well. Cause like you said, I think societal pressures to, you know, suck it up. It's not about you, you know, like it's, it's so prevalent. So I think it's just really cool that, that you guys did that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So when, when did that book come into play? Like, when did you guys, it, cause it just came out right this year. Yeah. So it just it happened later in, in your story. Right. Yeah. We, we didn't put all this down, you know, fully. Yeah. And I, I had had a, I had had a dad blog for a while, starting mm-hmm. in 2008 and I, I chronicled some of it there, but we didn't really sit down and hash it all out in book form until the last within the last year. So it's with a lot of hindsight and perspective gained, which I think is, is good. And, and the way that we wrote it, it's kind of like dual perspective. So Mm -hmm. different fonts in the book for when I'm talking versus when MJ's talking, because like you said earlier, we went through the same set of, you know, we went through the same situations, but our takes on it were very, very different. Mm -hmm. And we didn't, you know, we, we knew that they were different before, but we really didn't learn how different until we sat down and wrote out our feelings on the same subject in book form, which is really, really weird to do. And Mm -hmm. a quick story on that. So, you know, we, we wrote this book in a, in a Google doc and, you know, we kind of did it very separately by design. I didn't want to color anything. She was, you know, she was thinking, so we would write separately, not together. And I'd kind of write a chapter and then she would, she would chime in with, with her take on it. And I learned some things that I did not know at all at the time. And that caused some new discussions here for, you know, I won't spoil everything, but one, one instance was finding out in the book. So I opened this Google doc as we're writing this book together, right? reading what MJ wrote. And I find out that she was so, you know, kind of devastated after, after a bunch of our losses that, she had the doctor put her on birth control and didn't tell me. Ooh, scandalous. It was. And so I'm, I'm downstairs in the basement, read this. And I'm like, what the fuck? I yell up. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you know, and those were, those were four months of like probably our lowest point. I think we had had three or four losses by then. Yeah. And, you know, I had found out that I was dealing with, with male infertility and, to, to, I was beating myself up every day that we weren't pregnant then. And then to find out, you know, she was on birth control for four months and I didn't know it. Wow. It was awful. So what's your side of that MJ? What, what did you, why didn't you tell him? I had, I'm not looking back now. I'm not sure exactly why I didn't tell him. I was just a, a shame of so many miscarriages oh. and the doctor after my, my fourth DNC yeah. leaned over and said, you know, do you think it's time? And I was like, yeah, I think it's time, uh, time to go back on birth control. Okay. But I wish Aaron had been part of the conversation. Uh, I think things w- might've been a little different, but it sounds, it's my body. It was my choice, but he yeah. should be part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. I understand what you're saying. So I don't want to breeze over, you know, the four DNCs and the miscarriages, but can you guys talk me through? So after that first loss, how long before you had another one and then another and then another and how many total? Well, let's see. Uh, well total. Um, so MJ has been pregnant eight, eight or Oh God, we have, it's eight or nine times and we have uh, three children. So okay. it's, either, it's five or six losses, um, all kind of at different stages. I think we had one loss before we had Will. In 2008, mm-hmm. then the biggest struggle for us was trying to conceive our second child. Um, that's why there's a five and a half year age difference mm-hmm. between them. We lost, you know, that the first one was a first trimester loss. So were the next two, I think, one or two. Oh, I'm so sorry. The 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 real the big one came when we thought we were in the clear. You know, we we got one, we got a pregnancy that stuck. Well, first of all, we went through. Uh, oh, we hadn't gone through IVF then. No, that yeah. Was- so, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Were were these natural 
These were natural so far. So we're in 2010 now. And, um, you know, we had had three losses. We got one that stuck. We got to the 12 week mark. We were cautiously optimistic. And then, we, you know, they said, oh, yeah, it's good. You know, we celebrated. We were so happy. That happiness, we, we posted everywhere because we were at the 12 week mark. That happiness lasted another like 24 hours until the radiologist called us back and said, hey, um, actually, do you mind coming in again? We saw it's probably nothing, but we saw something, you know, upon further review, we saw something in the in the uh, in the ultrasound that we just we want to check it out. Um, just can you come back? And so, of course, we're like par- we're just paranoid. Mm-hmm. We go back the next day. And sure enough, the baby's legs were not separating like the every, everything was fine, except for, except for the legs, which weren't, weren't coming apart. Oh my gosh. Ultrasound after ultrasound. And they just kept trying to get the baby to move more, but the legs never opened up. Oh my gosh. What do they call that? Is there, there's gotta be a name for that, right? Yeah, it ended up being, they, they couldn't diagnose it at first. The worst part was we had to wait another four weeks until- until the baby like matured more so that they could get a better look. And it ended up being siren Amelia, which Mm -hmm. is known as mermaid syndrome. Oh my gosh. And it's a condition where it's exactly like it sounds. The legs are fused together, just like, like a mermaid. Um, But also the devastating part is, you know, there's no bladder, no kidneys, no anus, no missing. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it was. And we're, I'm so sorry, you guys. So how did you process that? And what and what happened? Did you have to terminate for medical reasons? Or like, how does that play out? Yeah, yeah. so this was this was a hell of a story. Um, we were around a little past 16 weeks, I think, 17 weeks. 17, yeah. And uh, yeah. we, you know, we're, we're near Boston. So we went to great hospitals uh, to see amazing doctors. And it was I remember it being very tough. The doctors were very nice. But this is a rare condition. It's about one in 100,000. Mm-hmm. And so they were very nice, but they were also very, you could tell they were kind of dating. excited to very see dating. something like that because none of them had. Oh. So we were like this novelty circus act or something. That's how I felt anyway. And, the, you know, they they wanted to, and we we volunteered, you know, we volunteered the baby for for research after, but they gave us a choice. They said, look, we can get you in in 10 to 14 days in the hospital for a termination, but, you know, because it's, this isn't considered life-threatening. So we have a 10 to 14 day wait, but at that point you'd be past 18 weeks. You'd have probably a 50, 50 chance of whether you'd have to, whether you could have an abortion or whether you'd have to deliver a stillborn mm-hmm. or you can go to our affiliated clinic uh, in the next couple of days and have an abortion. And so that was the decision that we were left with, which is a terrible decision. Brutal, brutal. Well, you say we had the decision. Ultimately, it was my decision. Yeah. And that was where some of the um, stress came in because Mm. Aaron kept saying, it's your decision. It's your decision. You need to make the decision. And he wasn't giving me any, a whole lot of input. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you know, I grew up, I, I'm just, I'm a very pro-choice person and always have been. And I think bodily autonomy for women should be sacrosanct. And so yeah. it, it was real hard for me to, she's like, just tell me what to do. And I'm like, I don't think that I can do that. I don't think that's my place. Yeah. I totally understand like the both sides of that, you know, it's, it's, and MJ, I'm sure it was like, why are you putting all this on me? Like the pressure and, but Aaron, you were trying to do kind of the right thing and your beliefs and, you know, like my body, my choice, like you said earlier, MJ. So that's so complicated. How did you guys finally work through that? Ultimately, I couldn't, I found out that when you give birth in Massachusetts, you get a birth certificate and a death certificate. And I personally could not receive that. That's right. I I forgot that was like your dividing line. That was, that was ultimately my my line in the sand. It would just be too heartbreaking for you. Yeah. It was too much to know yeah. that there's an actual birth certificate out there. Yeah. I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. So okay. we, we opted to go for, you know, we opted to go to the clinic Yeah, and, you know, 
that that's when a whole new set of circumstances happened because maybe it's just cause we live, we grew up in, you know, Massachusetts, it's this blue liberal bubble and, you know, that's what everyone thinks of it. But when we got to the clinic, there were people outside screaming and holding signs and it was just like protesters. Yeah. They were, they were anti-choice protesters. I was stunned and, and MJ was stunned. We, we didn't expect to see that in Brookline, Massachusetts, Mm-hmm. But there they were. And so, you know, they, they shouted what they shouted, you know, you're killing your unborn baby. And they had this stupid signs and, and MJ was just gutted. I mean, yeah. devastated. And so was I, but she was the one going in for, for surgery. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't be in there. They don't let you, they don't let partners into the surgery. So I didn't know what to do. I just knew that I couldn't sit in that, in that waiting room. And this is, you know, again, 2010, I think I had just gotten my first phone with video capabilities. Mm-hmm. So I went, I, I was a reporter at the time. So I knew my rights. I knew what I couldn't, couldn't do. I went outside on the sidewalk with my phone and I asked them questions and confronted them and it was all on tape and they were, you know, they really had no answers. I don't think people like that are used to being called on the carpet and used to being confronted because they're preying on people on one of the worst days of their lives. Um, But I just, I thought it was really important to at least say something and to, and, and I did, and it's still, that's the first time I ever experienced anything um, like viral going viral. It's, it's on YouTube. You can still see it today. Like, yeah. What does somebody look for if they want to find it on YouTube? What do they search? You probably search like dad confronts abortion protesters. Okay. And what did you say? I just said, you know, you don't, you don't know any of these people or any of their circumstances and yet you're judging them and shaming them on the worst day of their life. And it's despicable. It's, you know, it's just totally, garbage behavior. And, you know, I was barely holding it together anyway. And I was not as, uh, you know, I think, I think about all the things I would have liked to have said, you know, and they brought up, well, you know, people, women commit suicide at higher rates after an abortion. And I wish I had said, maybe it's because they have people out here shaming them on the street. You know, that, that certainly doesn't help. If you're worried about suicides, maybe stop yelling at, you know, fragile people. Yeah. So, you know, I just, it only lasted a couple minutes, but it was, it was just something I thought that I, I had to do. And then with MJ's permission, and she even wrote a blog post to accompany it. Um, you know, we, we put it online and it went crazy. It went to all the, you know, the sites that you would see it on in 2010, uh-huh. boing, 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 and um, right. you know, alternate and all these things. Yeah. And it was, that was a turning point for me personally, because I was drowning in grief at the time. And, you know, all those losses piled up and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't think that I had any right to grieve. I didn't think that a man had any, Mm. had any, you know, stake in and claim to any of this anger and, and resentment. And this was a way that I could finally say something and maybe just eke some good out of the situation. Because when I posted that, I got hundreds of emails and messages from, you know, men and women, mostly women from all ages, all different walks of life who said, you know, I walked that gauntlet 40 years ago and I wish that I had said something or I wish I had someone to say something. And so I kept all those emails there, you know, they're in my inbox. They, they meant the world to me. And honestly, they got me, they got me through that because I felt I had finally found a way to have some kind of silver lining where I could maybe make sense of all this and do something good. Mm-hmm. Was that the point too, where the book idea was born or had you thought about writing a book before? Like, you're like, obviously I have a platform here and people need this. They want to hear these thoughts. Did you, is that kind of where it all began? I don't know about the book then. I knew that, you know, I was already blogging. So I definitely, I definitely wrote about it. I think I had always wanted to write a book, but I didn't know about what. And I certainly didn't think back then, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I didn't think that a market would even exist for a book like that. Yeah, um, it didn't back then. Cause I can tell yeah, you from yeah, experience, right. I tried didn't. to write a book as well. Cause I'm also a journalist and 
you know, I tried to write a book about my IVF experience and nobody was interested. They were like, nope, nobody's going to buy this. There's no market for this. And this is only God, five. it was after my son was born and he's just turned six. So this is like five years ago. Wow. Wow. Not that long ago, you know, and now thank God it's changed dramatically in the last five years. Yeah, no, and I'm glad it has, because I think this is a conversation that just needs some sunlight. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the tough part for me, you know, that, that was a good thing for me, but then the, the tough part was there was a lot of, there was a lot of angst on MJ's side because I felt, I felt a lot of shame, especially when I was, you know, diagnosed with, with male infertility, male factor infertility. That, that was a, that was not just a gut punch. It felt like just someone ripped everything that made me a man out. Yeah. And, when did uh, that diagnosis come into play? 2012, a year or two later. Yeah. I think Sam. Yeah. Cause we hadn't had Sam yet. That was right before we did IVF. And so I, I could not talk about it with MJ. It hurt too much. I couldn't look at her. I felt too much shame. Mm. And, but what I could do, and this sounds ridiculous, but I think if, if you're not a blogger or a, or a writer who's put stuff out on the internet, maybe you don't understand, but I, I couldn't say it to her because it hurt too much and it felt too much shame, but I could publish my thoughts to an audience of nameless, faceless strangers. And, you know, what MJ didn't understand at the time was all of that was just me trying to communicate with her, but she was so mad that I couldn't communicate directly with her. Yeah. Read any of it. (laughs) Right. I get that. I understand that. So what was your, what was going on in your relationship? Was it pretty rocky? I don't know. I don't know if it was rocky, but it was definitely, there definitely lacked communication Mm -hmm. and there was always a silence between the two of us, Mm -hmm. especially when we were going and doing IVF and infertility. Mm -hmm. That's a big struggle for both of us because Aaron was um, struggling with his male infertility and he wasn't happy that it was him, that he actually wanted it to be me Mm. and that it should be me going through it. Yeah. That was, that was definitely a point. And it was really not that, uh, not so much that I wanted it to be you. I just, I just, with, uh, with the health problems that you had gone through, I just, I just expected that it was you. And and Mm. so I was shocked when it was, when it was me and I turned into, I mean, I was already pretty idiotic, but I turned into a really big idiot. Like I just, I felt so much hurt in that moment and I didn't know how to react. And I ended up taking it out on MJ. I mean, I remember in the, in the, in the immediate aftermath where, where I found out that I was the problem, you know, I thought, well, geez, you know, if I have, if I have male infertility, how the heck did she get pregnant in the first place? Uh, you know, and I, I asked her, I said, what did, did you cheat on me? I'm like, oh, wow. This kid, is this kid even mine? And like, that was, the, yeah. put that, put that at the top of things that you never want to say to your wife. Totally. And I just, I couldn't help it. I was, I was just spiraling. Yeah. Had no idea how to deal with it. And thankfully MJ is a much better and more patient person than I am. Cause she seemed to understand that in the moment and yeah. some slack. Wow. So tell me when did the IVF come into play in your story? So at what point did you guys go down that road? Um, like after the fourth loss. Yeah, I think after the fourth loss, my primary care suggested that we go see somebody to rule out um, different things that are going on. Mm -hmm. And I landed up having a thyroid issue. He had male infertility. So we Mm -hmm. had two things going on at once. Mm -hmm. And it actually, we weren't on board with the IVF at first. I have a deathly fear of needles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, when I found out that the shots were involved, Mm-hmm. To me and said, all right, you know, you're going to be giving, but you didn't have to get the shots. <laughs> she did. But you had to give them, No, but I had to give them to her and it, it almost derailed the whole, like, that's how much of a baby I am about. Right. About. Okay. And she was, she was like, are you kidding me? She's like, we're not going to have another kid because you can't handle giving me a shot. Right. 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 Oh, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But that was, um, I think we, you know, it took a little bit of convincing to, to, I felt like, I felt like if we couldn't do it naturally, then, then I had failed. Mm, yeah. Failed my only biological imperative. And so it took a little bit of 
coaxing to, you know, get all that toxicity and crazy, stupid masculinity out of the way. And it still never really left. It just, it subsided enough where we, we started doing the, you know, the IVF and we were both so ignorant before we, we had never done anything like this. I didn't know what to expect. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll forget, you know, being in the, being in the, after the, uh, what the extraction of the oh, eggs, that was heartbreaking. The uh, retrieval. Yeah. We were, we were in the middle of, we were in the middle of two other people and the curtains are up and they got to both of these women before, before they got to us. So we were able to listen to, mm-hmm. to what and the, and the first woman, you know, they, they said, all right, you know, we retrieved, well, how many? 12. Yeah. 12. 12 oh, yeah. I think we, we, we retrieved 12 eggs and, you know, they look good. And she was like, she didn't sound ma. She didn't really sound thrilled. Like she was like, Oh, okay. Uh, and so, and then the other person, like they said that they retrieved um, six eggs and she went crazy. Mm-hmm. She screaming and crying like it was the so in my head I'm like okay I'm like six is really really bad and 12 is okay I'm like so we need to be above six and I had no idea I had never done this before I'm just listening to these poor women getting news and going through their own things and trying to find like where the heck we rate mm-hmm. they came into us and they're like okay well we got two and I was like huh two. oh wow and they're like, and one really isn't great. So, you know, really, even though technically you have two, you have one. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, that sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, and thankfully, it, I mean, it took, that's, that's where we got, that's when we got Sam. Wow. Okay. So one egg and then obviously turned into a healthy embryo. Oh. Sam second, our only, our only IVF baby. Oh, okay. So wait, we have tell me about, son. okay. Tell me about having your first son too. First son was uneventful. That, it was very uneventful. It was just, you know, we, we had, we had had the loss beforehand. Okay. And we just kind of like, you know, it's, it sucked and it, it stung us, but we got, we got pregnant fairly quickly after that. So it was like, we just kind of brushed it under the rug and like, you know, Oh, let's pretend that never happened. Like that was got it. So this is your son, Will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you had the losses after that, the other losses you were telling me about. Okay. I just wanted to get the chronology straight. Thank you. Yeah. So then that's when we kind of got battle tested in between Will and, and Sam. Gotcha. Okay. So then tell me about when you guys found out you were pregnant with Sam and the IVF was successful. That's actually a really funny story because I took, I, it was Thanksgiving and I had taken a pregnancy test on a Wednesday and it was negative and I was devastated because I was like, that's it. It didn't take, I'm done. I'm never going through this again. I can't have the shots again, all those feelings. And I had one more test left on that Thursday and it came up positive, but I didn't realize it because I left it on the, on the bathroom sink and Aaron had jumped into the shower and he came out and he said, honey, did you leave the pregnancy test for me to see? And I was like, no, I was like, I forgot about it. He's like, it's positive. Oh my God. <laughs> so Aaron actually found out we were pregnant before I did. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Wow. That must've felt good. But were you, were you guys nervous? I mean, after, you know, That's after fine. you experienced loss oh, yes. and especially what happened with, you know, your, your other pregnancies, tell me about that the anxiety and just going into this IVF pregnancy. Oh, I, my anxiety was over the top. I was constantly checking, you know, asking Aaron, making sure everything was okay, reading all the books, just trying to do anything I could to soothe my anxiety. And Mm -hmm. one scare in December. So Sam was eight weeks, would have been eight weeks pregnant. Yeah. I started having blood clots and Aaron wasn't home. I had to track him down and like called him hysterical. Mm Mm-hmm the OB office and they were like, we'll get you in, you know, we're on lunch, but we'll get you in right now. They must've thought I was crazy. No, I'm sure they didn't think you were crazy, but I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so scary. I remember that too with, cause I had secondary infertility. My son is six years um, younger than my daughter. And, you know, after experiencing many losses myself, it was just that thing of like, every time you go to the bathroom and you wipe, you're like, please, no blood, please, no blood. Like it's so... I still have get triggered 
like it still gives me the full body chills thinking about that feeling that and thinking that and that that terror. Yeah. And that's that's why, you know, I'd always been like, let's tell everyone everything right away person. But um, after all those losses and then with Sam, we waited until after 12 weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. First ultrasound. Yeah, we were we were much more guarded. We didn't tell as many people. We didn't right. put it on social media as much. And um, I honestly, I, I remember I went through, I went through a period where I just refused to even believe it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So like, I put it, I put it out of my head. Like I was happy she was pregnant. And then I was like, well, it's going to, it's going to fail. So I'm not getting my hopes up, hopes up. And I would, I would literally, I would, I would honestly forget. And I'd say, Hey, you know, babe, do you want to go out to the bar? And she'd be looking at me like, what is wrong with you <laughs> right now? But it's because I refused to let myself believe that it was actually going to happen. Yeah. I think that's so common with this community and people who have suffered infertility or loss you know, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop because you're so used to disappointment that you're like, well, this isn't going to work out, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's that the, the really, I won't say a cool part of writing the book, but a meaningful part of writing the book was talking to, you know, we ended up with nine in-depth interviews Mm -hmm. uh, and women, mostly men in this case, but just really getting into it with them about what they were feeling and feeling validated personally because it, it tracked with what I was feeling. And it's all the stuff that we, that we never say as guys, and we never allow ourselves to feel and, you know, talking with these guys and hearing all the things that they were saying about this was so comforting and gratifying. And, and MJ and I are so appreciative of them sharing their really personal stories. Mm-hmm. And I hope we, I hope we did them all justice because they, you know, we, that was the biggest part. That was the biggest thing we underestimated in writing this book. We came out with the idea and we, we posted it to our networks. We said, Hey, you know, what's everyone think about this? And it was overwhelming. Everyone was like, this is amazing. You need to write this book. That's such a good idea. That book really doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, well, we're going to need, you know, I want to, I don't want it to just be our story. I want it to be other people. And they said, yeah, yeah. Interviews. We'll do interviews. And we lined up interviews and one by one, they canceled or ghosted or mm. said, Hey, um, you know, I was getting ready for this. And honestly, I just can't relive it. I'm sorry, which is completely understandable. Um, yeah, hundred percent, but we just, we thought we'd have, we thought we'd have more people and we underestimated, you know, just how difficult it is to relive all this trauma. Because I mean, I think people do have PTSD about this. Uh, some people absolutely feel that way and rightfully so. And so that's why, you know, even though we only got nine people, we just, we so appreciate those nine people because it's not easy putting this all out there. Yeah. I think that every time I do an interview for this podcast, like I'm just so grateful for all the men and women who have stepped up and, you know, everybody has the same goal behind it. It was like, well, I want to share my story because I wish I had this when I was going through it, or, you know, I want someone to know they're not alone. So I think that it's so great when people do that. And again, thank you guys for, for talking about all of this. Can you tell me what, what happened next? So you had Sam, but you guys have three boys, right? Yes. Yeah, we were, uh, <laughs> so this is, you know, 2014 ish. Um, we were talking about whether or not we were done actually, oh, MJ was talking about whether or not we were done. I was done. <laughs> I was definitely done. <laughs> I had had enough two was always my goal. And then all of a sudden MJ started talking about three and I was like, well, that's, uh, that's new information. So we really (laughs) hadn't, we had not settled on it at all. We were still going back and forth and lo and behold, um, I remember I was at a hot dog stand right across the street from the middle school where MJ and I first met. And I was with, you know, my oldest, he was playing on the playground. We were getting some food and she calls me, you know, not hysterical, but like in her, in her happy voice, she's like, you need to come home. I said, what's wrong? She's like, I'm fucking pregnant. And I'm like, what? No. (laughs) And I was, for the first time, I mean, I had longed to hear those words before. I mean, those are the words that I always wanted to hear. And this time was a different experience because I didn't necessarily want to hear those words. Interesting. I remember like, I remember just the flood of emotions. I gathered Will up. I 
got in the car and I was just like, how do I feel about this? And like, I, I'm looking at the school where we first met and then I'm looking at my kid in the rear view mirror and trying to process all this. And, you know, I, in that car ride home, I kind of realized like, yeah, you know, of course I want another kid. This is, you know, it's another kid with the person I love and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And then yeah. I, I think a few weeks later, just as I was really coming around to all that, we had another, another early loss. Oh, and that one was, you know, that one was different. We, that one was like, for me anyway, that one was almost more peaceful. It was just like, uh, we had been there so many times yeah. and we just kind of made, not that it was good. Uh, maybe peaceful is the wrong word, but it was just kind of like, yep. You know, familiar yeah. territory. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We continued to talk about whether or not we were going to have a kid. And then, you know, as often happens, I think nature just kind of decided, <laughs> decided for us and, in early 2015, we found out that, you know, we were pregnant with, with Tommy and. Oh, so you did not do IVF for Tommy? No, but I had gone to the doctor of, <laughs> <laughs> to do, you know, when you go for IVF and infertility, they do like a physical checkup and check your blood count and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Started the process and to possibly do. You did? The, yes. You knew that. I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> We're breaking news on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to see what what it entail again. And like three days later, I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. So eight, eight or nine times pregnant, five, six losses, and thankfully wow. healthy kids, which is yes. And you know preg- how lucky we were. We're so lucky because a lot of people don't get to that point. So I mean, as tough as our road was, other people have it so much tougher. Yeah, absolutely. So the pregnancy with Tommy was uneventful in terms of, you know, health issues and stuff and everything was okay. Yeah. He was the easiest. Yeah, Interesting. You were in crazy shape too. You, you ran a, you ran a 5k <laughs> at like 22 weeks or something. Oh my God. Yeah. Awesome. If anybody's listening right now and is just kind of in the thick of it in like the shit in the weeds is there anything that you guys would want to say to somebody just in terms of getting through this or, you know, advice or things you wish you would have known? I mean, I would, uh, things I wish I would have known. I mean, I, I would just, I would communicate directly and openly, even when it's messy and ugly and, and even sometimes nasty. I, I feel like I made things exponentially more difficult in our relationship and strained our relationship because I couldn't bring myself to get over my own shame and guilt and just talk to my wife directly. And I mean, eventually we got there, but a lack of communication really dooms relationships. And so if I had just, if I had just been honest and raw about talking about how I felt, I feel like we could have got to the good place that we got to much sooner and with much less pain. So I, I know that it's hard, especially, you know, and I can only speak from, from the male perspective because this stuff is so not supposed to be talked about by, by men, but we can change that. And mm-hmm. we could change that because it doesn't just benefit us. It benefits everyone. And if men, if men are serious about, you know, we we're the protectors, we want to protect our family. Well, I guarantee goddamn to you that the best way to, to protect your relationship and your family is to talk things out. Cause if you don't, it is a, it is a shit show. And so if you really want to protect your family, be honest and upfront and talk about this stuff because you know, you do have a right to grieve. You do have a right to feel these things. These mm-hmm. are, these are real feelings and you're entitled to them. And that's mm-hmm. what I want guys to know about this. And, and women, I, you know, I, I, if, if it's a heterosexual relationship, I would, I try to tell women he does care, you know, just, just because, well, right, 99% of the time he cares about this just because he's silent does not, please don't equate silence or being withdrawn with a lack of interest or caring because that's not the case. We just, we don't always know how to express it or even if we can express it. So just keep prying and keep at those conversations because once you lift the veil off, things get a little, things get a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Okay. MJ, what about you? Make sure that you take all the support that you can get from friends and family and your spouse mm-hmm. or if you get other. 
I made sure that I isolated myself when I was going through everything as to not offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. Mm. If I had known what I know now, I would, I should have been more open Mm -hmm. to asking for help and support and just make sure that people and if people are giving you unsolicited advice, stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a whole <laughs> chapter in the book on that. Yes. Let's talk about that really quickly before we close out. What were some of the things that people said to you and what were your responses? Oh man. Just, you know, give me even, like your best one. Even what the doctor said to MJ, well, maybe it's time to stop. Like, you know, fuck you. Just, just <laughs> that's not what anyone wants to hear while they're lying on the operating table. You know, there, there might be a time and a place for that and that ain't it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like you, Oh, your kids in a better place. Oh, yeah. Um, just, just go to hell. Like really your kids in a better place. Stop it mm-hmm. wants to hear that stuff. Just sit and be uncomfortable with people and say, God damn it. This is hard. And I'm sorry. That's what people need to hear. They just need you to sit down there in the, in the mud with them for a little bit so that you're not alone. And no one wants to hear some of the stuff. Even I said like, Oh, now we can try again. Trying is the fun part. Just, just <laughs> when, in doubt, say, yeah, when in doubt, say less and, you know, empathize more. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Aaron and MJ, I loved talking to you guys. Could have gone on and on. Definitely check out their book, everybody. It's called Men in Miscarriage, A Dad's Guide to Grief, Relationships, and Healing After Loss. I also watched the YouTube clip that Aaron referred to during our conversation. If you want, Google dad confronts abortion protesters or something to that nature, and you will see the video as it unfolded and as it happened. I also wanted to let you guys know about Fertility Rally in case you don't know already. So Fertility Rally is a community. We've got 24-7 community. We've got content. We've got curated events. And we are there to help you guys, to help anybody that's going through this, no matter what your situation is. So check us out. Our website is fertilityrally.com. You can see more on Instagram at Fertility Rally. We open up the first week of every month. So we'll open up again January 1st. But you can get on our wait list now so that you know exactly when the doors open. We would love to have you. We'd love to be there for you. We have incredible support groups that have become kind of the main bread and butter, if you will, of the group. Everybody loves our group, our support groups, and it's just such an incredibly supportive community who is there to hold each other's hand and cheer each other on and answer each other's questions. So check out fertilityrally.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.